I don't think you understand what you've started. Letting the Avengers loose on this world. They're dangerous. They surely are. And the whole world knows it. Every world knows it. Was that the point of all this? A statement? A promise. Sir, how does it work now? They've gone their separate ways. Some pretty extremely far. We get into a situation like this again, what happens then? They'll come back. You really sure about that? I am. Why? Because we'll need them to. I remember the first time that I saw that movie. It's wild to believe that that's like six or seven years ago now. And I love that ending. I love it. I remember the first time I saw it, she asked the question, how do you know they will come back? And Fury answers, because we will need them to. And I'm sitting in the theater going, yeah, that's good. It's good because superpower that can be celebrated is the superpower that can be counted on. Superpower that can be celebrated is the superpower that can be counted on. Maybe we call it trust. Today, you can probably already tell we've been singing about it. We're going to dig in together. We're going to call it faithfulness. And when it comes to faithfulness, we admire it. But I want us to understand today, God requires it. The scripture tells us that it's, it's required of those who have been given a trust. They must prove faithful. And what God requires, he makes possible. And that's what we're going to dig into today. We've been in Galatians chapter 5, so if you want to grab your Bibles and head there, hopefully you're, you're already there, but if, you're, if this is your first day today with us, I want to welcome you. We're so glad you're here. We are just making our way through one verse. Now, from that one verse, we're really digging into all different directions in the Scripture, but this verse, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, is, is our anchor point, and each week we are picking up the next piece. Everybody doing good? Did you see the sunshine? Yes. It felt like an appropriate video to play today for the sunshine video. It just did. Um, and I got to tell you, I, I didn't know that video was going to happen when they built it. But the more I looked at it, just thinking about the beach and thinking about the sunshine, and even that seaweed on my head, I'm thinking about dreads. What do you think? You laugh. I would if I could. I would if I could. All right, let's dig in. Let's dig in together. Galatians chapter 5. Do we have power? There we go. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Here's how it reads. But the fruit of the Spirit, so the Spirit is the power. He, that's God. 
The, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and today we have arrived at faithfulness. Now, just to say the word, we know the difference that faithfulness makes. Uh, most, many of you can relate to the difference that faithfulness makes in a workplace. I mean, come on, you can find plenty of people who want a paycheck. But the question is, who is faithful? Who, who are those people that, that show up on time when it comes to work? Who, who are those people that actually work a full day when it comes to work? That they don't run from more work when it's, when it's needed in order for something to be done better. But you also know the flip side of that. You know what it looks like when people say they can't work when they actually can. You know what it's like to see someone who does their work for their own benefit, maybe at the expense of a, of a customer that they cheat. Or maybe in a school setting, it's someone that, that's constantly trying to find a way to shortcut, to cheat the system. We're talking about here integrity, honesty, trustfulness, loyalty, all of that together, it's called faithfulness, and it's the question, can you be counted on when teammates are not faithful? It's painful for a team. When friends are not faithful, when spouses are not faithful, when parents are not faithful, it's painful. The scripture actually confirms that. I love the Proverbs. Here's what it says in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 19. Like a broken tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in a time of trouble. Isn't that a cool picture? You ever had a broken tooth? Yeah, if you ever break a tooth, the broken tooth will affect your ability to chew. But bottom line is, it just hurts doesn't it? Even a twisted ankle, maybe. A, a twisted ankle affects your ability to move, but it also just, just hurts. I, I wonder if Solomon were giving us this verse out of the Proverbs this week, he might say a weak Nike basketball shoe. That might be the image that he uses, right? This has been the image that, that many of you have seen all week long. If you're a sports fan, this, is, this has been the talk. We got this young man named Zion, which is just kind of a cool name in and of itself. And, and besides that, he's just a, one of the top phenomenal basketball uh, players in the college realm. And this week, he's playing a game, one of the biggest games, I would say, of his college career. And some 30 seconds into the game, he simply cuts across the lane, and when he goes to stop, his foot doesn't stop because his shoe just blows up, and it leaves him in an awkward position that actually somehow tweaks his knee. He goes out of the game, and he's not able to play the rest of the game. I, I wonder if Solomon were writing the Proverbs this week, he would have said, like a weak Nike basketball shoe is reliance on the unfaithful in a time of trouble. Because you see his face? It hurts. Where unfaithfulness shows, it hurts. And the Proverbs also say in chapter 20, verse 6, 
many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. Many claim, but a faithful person who can find. I read that and I go, well, apparently, apparently it is always felt this way where you just want to ask the question, is anybody faithful anymore? Lots of people talk the walk, but is anyone actually faithful anymore? And I want you to hear me when I tell you that the answer has always been yes. Yes. When the, when the question was asked a long time ago in Proverbs, anybody faithful anymore? The answer was yes. In the day in which we live, when sometimes we just want to scream, is anybody faithful anymore? The answer is yes. In one of the places we find that answer, Lamentations chapter 3, it reads this way, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We just sang that song. It's like, where did we get that from? This, this is part of where we got that from. Great is your faithfulness, God. When we ask the question, is anybody faithful anymore? Yes, is the answer. God is still faithful. And I'm saying as long as that question's been asked, the answer has always been yes. We rely on the faithfulness of our God. Now, I want to do a little theology work with you today. And I, and I want us just to realize for a few minutes, when we simply use that word, our God is faithful, I want you to recognize there are some attributes of God, those characteristics of who he is that immediately have to be attached to that faithfulness or he cannot be faithful, all right? So here, here's what I mean. When, when we say God's faithfulness, what we also mean is that God is what we call omniscient. That's kind of a weird word. We don't use that word really any other time, but we use it in relation to God. Do you know what omniscient means? It means all-knowing. All-knowing. What it means is that God knows everything about me. Everything. And it means he knows everything about you. Absolutely everything. If he didn't, how would he be able to meet the needs that we have at any given moment? A part of when we declare God's faithfulness is a part of declaring the attribute that God is omniscient. But he's not just omniscient, he is also what's called omnipotent. Omnipotent means he is all-powerful. He can't fulfill a promise of faithfulness if there's ever something bigger than him. Well, the good news is there is nothing bigger than him because our God, one of his attributes is he is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Let me give you another O, all right? He is omnipresent. Now, that one actually sounds like what it is. It means he's all-present. So he's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's all-present. He's always there. There is no moment when, when, when he is unaware of what's taking place. He is always with us, always present. It is who he is. To say that he's faithful also means that he is truthful. Titus tells us that God does not lie. 
2 Timothy tells us that even if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot disown himself. Now here's what he's saying. God's nature, the very nature of who God is means that he cannot prove to be unfaithful. That is good news. The very nature of who he is means that he cannot be unfaithful. He is always truthful. And I got one more word for you. It is the word immutable. That simply means that he is unchanging. He's unchanging. He is always the same. Always right, always accurate, always faithful because he is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, always truthful, always the same. He is this rock. He is this cornerstone. He, he is not moved. And so I want us to understand our eternal destiny is based on the faithfulness of God. When we talk faithfulness, we need to be reminded often that our eternal destiny is based on the faithfulness of God. Let me give you a few pieces of evidence for that. Some of you are aware of 1 John chapter 1. If we confess our sins, right? To confess our sins is to say, I, I'm, I'm owning up to the truth of this is who I am. This is the mistakes that I've made. This is where I have done wrong. Check it out. He is what? He's what? Faithful. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He is faithful to do what? He will forgive us. When I say our eternal destiny is based on the faithfulness of God, I'm not just throwing some words at you. I am, I am serious about what I'm saying today. This verse declares to us, look, he is faithful and just. That means that he paid the price that was required to be paid. All the legal requirements that had to be met, Jesus met those on our behalf. How cool is it that God would make this verse so incredibly clear? I mean, just about anybody can read this and go, I, I think I hear what he's saying. If we confess our sin, if we are honest with God, if we will turn to him admitting who we are, trusting in him, his faithfulness declares he will forgive us. Our forgiveness is based in the faithfulness of God. It's a big deal. Let me give you another one. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Now, when we read the word temptation in the Bible, sometimes, sometimes the, the word temptation is referring primarily to what we think about when we are tempted to sin. Uh, it's the word for allure. Uh, not allure, but, but a fishing lure. Like you throw a lure and, and you're trying to entice a fish to bite that lure. That's the picture of temptation. But the word temptation in the Bible also brings with it the meaning of trial. Going through trial, going through struggle, then they're greatly connected. When you go through trial, sometimes you are enticed away from trusting in God. So, so they are connected. But when you read it, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is, there he is, he's faithful. 
He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out that you can endure it. How cool is that? He's like, God's faithfulness sets the limits on what you go through. And because he is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, he knows your limit. And he will not let that limit exceed. He will provide a way out. Our ability to stand under pressure is based on the faithfulness of God. Let me give you one more. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Now, the word sanctify, we learned a few weeks ago. Sanctify, it's this word that means that God's spirit living in us, he is growing us. He is shaping us. He is changing us to look more like Jesus. That's sanctification. So God himself, the God of peace, may he sanctify you through and through. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, one of these days, we're going to stand before him. It's going to be face to face. What in the world would make us ready? The one who calls you is faithful. He is faithful, and he will do it. Can I just remind you today, our ability to grow in Christ-likeness, our ability to stay in right relationship with God, our ability to be ready to see Jesus face-to-face one day, it is based on the faithfulness of God. Our eternal destiny is based on the faithfulness of God. The only shot I've got and the only shot you've got is for God to keep his promise. If at any moment he decided, change my mind, any moment he decided, not going to forgive, any moment he decided, not going to hold you anymore, we are done. But because of the very nature of God himself, he will always be faithful. He will never let you go. He will forgive. And he will make you ready to one day see him face to face. I don't know. Kind of like, we should, maybe we should sing that song again because maybe we'd sing it a little differently, you know? Maybe we'd sing it a little differently once we start to process who we're really talking about here and what his faithfulness means. Now, my, my question then becomes, all right, that's how God is. What am I, how, so how do I respond to that? What do I do with such faithfulness that is being shown my direction? Where do I go with that? I mean, how do we know what to do? What does faithfulness look like for us? And thank goodness, we don't have to guess. And one of the places that we can really know that in a very clear way, here's what faithfulness looked like, is one of the stories that Jesus told along the way. I'm going to read it to you. Some of you may have heard this story numerous times in your life, but you know how it is where sometimes we never have actually heard it. 
And so I, I want you to hear how Jesus tells this story of faithfulness. Here's how it begins. We'll read for a while. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. It reads like this. Jesus said, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold. Everybody say five. Five. There you are. To another, two bags. Everybody say two. And to another, one bag. Each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done. You ready? Good and, there's our word, faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now look, sometimes when Jesus tells a story, it can be a bit of a struggle to kind of make sure we understand where he's going with things. It can. Sometimes he did it on purpose. Sometimes he would still tell stories that were really challenging, and I mean, it would just kind of mess people up. Well, where's he going with this? But other times, he tells stories, and they are just straightforward, and this is a straightforward story. Who's the master? He is. Who are the servants? We are. And therefore, who is doing the giving in this story? It is God himself. I want you to notice what Jesus teaches about faithfulness here. Here's where we got to start. Ability levels are not all equal, but all abilities are God-given. I want you to let that settle. Ability levels are not all equal, despite what your mama told you. They're not. Ability levels are not all equal, but all abilities are God-given. In this story, one's given five, one's given two, one's given one. But they all are given at least one. Everybody gets something, and that something is given from the master. There will always 
be someone with more ability than you. Isn't that encouraging? It actually can be. There will always be someone with more ability than you. And it's amazing to me how that flies in the face of the culture in which we live and a message that is often spoken to our, our next generations that are, no, there, there will always be someone who has more ability than you, no matter how good you are. Uh, abilities, their levels are not equal. But what we know for sure is that he says they are all equally given by God. All those abilities come from God. A bag of gold in this story doesn't just represent money. I think Jesus picked money because it's what we pay attention to. I think he picked money because ears perked up, bags of gold. Oh, we want to know how to get more. That's, that's what we want to know. I think he did that strategically. But when he talks bags of gold here, he, he's talking about it represents everything that God would give. What are those abilities that God's given you? There are some people that... that I mean, everything from abilities to construct, to abilities, abilities to cook, right? I, I got a blackberry cobbler from the auction from someone who has the ability to cook. It was a good buy. There are abilities to cook and abilities to construct, abilities to sing, abilities to sew, ability to play sports, ability to play an instrument. Uh, some of you have an ability to work with kids. Some of you are just fantastic with students. Some of you have an ability to connect. I mean, we could just go on and on and on and on. Where does all that come from? It is given by God. Everything that we have, all the resources that we have would be summed up in bags of gold. God has given us. What I want you to see from the story is that the number of bags is not the key to the story. The number of bags of gold is not the key to the story. The key to the story is what you do with the number you have. The lesson is ability levels are not all equal. But here's the second lesson. We all have equal responsibility to take the opportunity to use our God-given abilities to honor God and bless others. Ability levels are not all equal, but responsibility levels are all equal. We all have a responsibility to take the opportunity to use those God-given abilities to honor God and to bless other people. That's why in this story, there's only two results, two possibilities. There are the servants who are faithful, and there are the servants who are not. What is the difference? What's the difference between those who are faithful and those who are not? The difference is not in the number of bags of gold. The difference is who used what they were given. And the question this morning is simply, are you? Are you using your God-given abilities to honor him and to bless others? Because if you are not using them, or if you are using them for any other reason, including just for yourself, that is the definition of unfaithfulness. It's unfaithful.
Now, there's something else really big that this story teaches us that is confirmed all over Scripture. It is the lesson that when it comes to faithfulness, how do you measure it? Faithfulness is not measured by fruitfulness. Faithfulness is measured by faith. I'm not saying that fruitfulness isn't important, because it is. We're studying Galatians chapter 5, where it's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Here's what God working in us, he is, he is producing. Here's what he's working in us. But some of us are messed up because we think that faithfulness is measured by fruitfulness when faithfulness is actually measured by faith. If you stop and think about the word itself, faithfulness, full of faithness. That's what the word means, full of faithness. God did not expect the same numbers from all. He didn't. But he did expect the same effort. Ten bags, did that please him? Yeah, it did. Four bags, did that please him? Yeah, it did. In fact, he said the same thing for both of them. It wasn't to the ten that, that it was something, you know, better than the four. No, I think on purpose, Jesus gives us the same identical words for, for both of those efforts. I, I just want to remind you today, God is not comparing you to who you typically are comparing you to. He, he is not. He, he is not comparing you to someone else. And one day when we meet him face to face, he's, you're not going to stand before him and God talk about how you line up against your neighbor. He, he's not going to line you up against your friends. He's not going to line you up against your... Now, it's, did you do the best that you could do with what he gave you? Now, I want to give you another Another picture in Scripture that confirms this principle that I think is so incredibly freeing when we get it. There's a guy in the Old Testament, first part of your Bible. There's actually a whole book named after him. His name is Jeremiah. Now, I like Jeremiah's story, but honestly, not because of how it turns out. I just learned some things from Jeremiah. Because did you know that in Jeremiah's book, you can read it, it's chapter 25, it actually tells us that Jeremiah, a prophet who preached what God told him to preach, did so for 23 years without one single convert. 23 years. He gave 23 years of his life to the purpose of preaching the good news, we would say, that God called him to preach. And not a single person changes the heart. Not one. Not anybody. I cannot imagine what that would be like to go 23 years and not have anybody respond. So my question becomes, Jeremiah, how do you do that? 
Jeremiah, how do you keep going in year two, much less 23? Jeremiah, how do you keep going when nobody's listening and nobody's changing and nobody's responding? And I believe the key is given in the very first chapter of the book of Jeremiah. When when God declares to Jeremiah this truth, Jeremiah, before you were born, I knew you. And Jeremiah, I have set you apart to be my prophet. Jeremiah, before you were ever born, I'm reminding you who I am, the all-knowing I got this, and Jeremiah, I have set you apart. I have given you a purpose. This is the abilities that I have given you. You're going to be my prophet, and you're going to declare to the people what I call you to declare. And so I don't know what that looked like in year three, year seven, year 15 when Jeremiah is wrestling with all this. I I imagine something like this. God, I'm not real sure why you have me doing this. God, I'm, I'm really not sure I'm the, I'm the best one at this because God has been 23 years and nobody is responding. But God, you said this is what you wanted me to do. And my faith rests in you, not in the fruit of my efforts. I will be faithful. That's the only way I know that Jeremiah would be able to stay faithful for 23 years when he's not, he's not getting to send out, hey, here's, here's how we're growing this year. Here's how much we've expanded this year. This is how many people are following now. No, he's got none of that to base. All he's got is God called me to do this. This is the ability he's given me. And when I measure faithfulness, I'm going to measure it like God measures faithfulness. It's not about the numbers. It's not about a fruitfulness. It is about believing trusting, staying faithful to God. Now, don't get me wrong. Does God want to see people come to trust him? Sure he does. Does God celebrate large numbers of people whose hearts change and trust in him? Yes, he does. But for Jeremiah, that was not the measure of faithfulness. It's not about the fruitfulness. It's faith. That matters and we're going to see why here in just a second. Like a lot of Jesus' stories, um, a lot of Jesus' stories end in a very positive way. This one does not. Check out where it goes, verse 24. Verse 24, then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. In other words, he's going, he didn't even put it in the bank. I mean, he, he didn't. It is just the ultimate do absolutely nothing with this. Now, here's the point. Here is the big picture that I think Jesus is giving. There is 
No excuse for not using your God-given ability to honor God and bless others. There is no excuse. Where this guy goes is he wants to blame the master. Did you catch that? He, he ends up turning the blame toward the master, right? Master, I knew this is who you are, right? You have what you have from, from deceptive and dishonest ways. And so in the story, Jesus has the master respond and say, so let's say I am. Let's say that I am that way. Let's say that I have what I have through deceptive and dishonest ways. If you thought that that's how I act toward what doesn't belong to me, how do you think I'm going to respond toward what does belong to me? And the obvious point is just, why didn't you do something with this? Now, I'm going to be, I'm going to tell you one of, one of the most frustrating things for me, and maybe some of you can relate. There I don't know that there's anything more frustrating than those who do not do what they're supposed to do and then blame other people for it. That frustrates me like crazy. When people don't do what they're supposed to do and then they blame other people for it. They have nothing to show for their time or their work, but everybody else is the reason that they didn't get it done. It's always somebody else's fault. When I read this story, I'm reminded how it works. This guy spent 42 words to say, I did nothing. 42 words. You'll find that to be the case. The less people do, the more people tend to talk. 42 words to say, I did nothing. And he just eventually lands with, I was afraid. I was afraid. Now, I've been, I've been trucking down this road to get you to hear. I want you to, see, I want you to hear this. If you are afraid of failure, then you do not understand how God measures faithfulness. Please hear me. If you are afraid of failure, then you do not understand how God measures faithfulness. You're acting as though faithfulness is measured by fruitfulness. And so you don't want to get into something if you can't pull it off at a high standard to where everybody sees that you did this and you were successful and everything was worthwhile. That's how we want to measure it. That's not how God measures faithfulness. God measures faithfulness by what? Faith. Faith. Some of you are afraid to fail, and so you do nothing. Now, it's a tendency for every generation. It is. But in the world in which we live in right now, it is an epidemic. In the world in which you and I live in, in our culture, in our nation, it is an epidemic of a fear of failure. And it is paralyzing. It's paralyzing. See, for a lot of people, if they cannot see all the way to the end, it's like if I can't see the whole process of what I need to do here, if I can't see not only step one, but I need to see step seven and I need to see step ten, if I can't see all the way to the process, I'm not doing it because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of where this lands. Or you get in the middle of it and you begin to walk it out, but somewhere in the midst there are some trials and suddenly we begin to question, this, this can't be right. If I'm going through trials, is this the right thing? Am I going to be able to make it through? And then suddenly that fear of failure just leaves, it makes you bail. 
I'm going to tell you something because I love you. God is not like a parent who refuses to let their children struggle. He's not. God is not like a parent who refuses to let his children struggle. We all watch, I think, at times, and we watch parents. Again, it's a part of the culture in which we have walked through for a while now, where a parent steps in and fixes every struggle that a kid goes through. They step in and fix every time there's a trial, every time there's a struggle, every, every time there's a, there's a point of contention, even to the point of protecting children from spiritual struggle. It's like, I don't want to see my kids struggle. I don't want to see my kids doubt. I don't want to see my kids wrestle with spiritual things. And I want to just tell you so that you have expectations that are clear, God won't do that. God will not bail you out every time there is a struggle in the sense of to remove it from you completely so that you don't struggle. He won't because he knows it's in the struggle that strength, that growth, that faithfulness, that's where it happens. Now he knows, we already read this, the limit, that's the cool part. He knows the limit, he knows what's too far. In his nature, he will, he is faithful, he will not let that go beyond what, what you are able to handle, but he, he is not like a parent who refuses to let his kids struggle. So what do we do? Like, where, where do we go with this? Well, I think where we go with this is actually the key to the parable. It's actually the key to the story. And I think the key to the story is the thing that Jesus said twice. He repeated it. He said the same thing twice. He said it in verse 21, and he said it in verse 23. And this is how it reads. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. I think it's the secret to the parable. I think it's the secret to the story. If you want to know how do I, how do I become a faithful person, how do I become the person that can be counted on, you start with, what I think he's referring to here, what I call small things. Because the point is, big things are made up of small things. You think about something as big as the ocean, but it's made up of small things, drops of water. And even those drops of water that are molecules, and even those that are made up of atoms, it is... It is big things that are made up of smaller things. Time, time. Think of the ages of time, but, but the ages of time are made up of millenniums, and those millenniums are made up of centuries, and those centuries are made up of years. Those years made up of months, months made up of weeks, weeks made up of days, days of hours, hours of minutes, minutes of seconds. You, it's, everything big is made up of small. And so is your life. And you want to stand before Jesus one day and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. 
How do I get to that big picture, Jeff? You start with small things that are right in front of you. David could not be the king before he was the shepherd. He couldn't, he couldn't oversee God's nation until he could oversee some sheep. He couldn't take down Goliath before he had taken down a lion and a bear. Like, what, what are those small things? Jeff, what, what are the small things? Well, I'm going to show you one small thing, and then we get, we're going to wrap this up, and we're going, we're going to celebrate the bigness of our God. But here's what he says in Luke chapter 16, verse 9. Look at what Jesus says. I tell you, you'll love this. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. Did Jesus really say that? Did Jesus really say use money to make friendships? Uh-huh, he did. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. In other words, Jesus going, surely you understand that you would use something temporary like your money in order to invest it in something that is eternal like relationships, and therefore you would use your resources, small things, your, your money, your, the stuff that you have, the stuff that's not going to last. You will use small things, be faithful with small things so that you can affect eternal things. How cool is that? I've had people along the way when I tell them, Jesus actually said, use your money to buy friends. They, that, that's the point where they go, no, he didn't. Yes, he did. Let's keep reading. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? It's always the question, if you had a million bucks, what would you do? If you had a million bucks, what would you do, right? And, and we go, oh, well, well, this is what I would do. And somewhere in what you do would be to help somebody. It always is. Somebody's going to get, you're going to give some chunk of change to help the orphans, or you're going to give some cause of somebody that's hurting. Every time you ask people, if you had a million bucks, what would you do? And here's what Jesus says. Well, what are you doing with the hundred bucks that you do have? And if the hundred bucks that you do have doesn't match what you say with you, you would do with the million, you wouldn't do it with the million. He said, because it's only faithfulness with the small that will actually lead you to be faithful with the big. And we go, uh-uh, uh-uh. If I really had a million, this is what I'd do. And Jesus is like, no, you wouldn't. Because it's always the principle. If you're not faithful with the small, you will not be faithful with the big. If you don't do it with the hundred bucks, you ain't going to do it with the million. He said, this is the example of small things. One of the things I'd encourage you to do as parents, as grandkids, teach your kids how to be generous. Seriously. I would encourage you to teach your kids how to bring an offering when we come together for worship. Why do we bring an offering? It's the pattern that was set to us from the New Testament. It, we see the early church where every time they come together, there's an offering that's brought in order to bless other people, in order to honor God. It's why we do that each week. I would encourage you to teach your kids to do that. Give them a job. Let them earn some money somehow. I don't mean just give them money to bring. Let them earn something and then bring a portion of it. You're like, does the church really need those pennies? Nope. We don't need their pennies. 
But what we do need is boys and girls who will, be, who will grow up to be men and women who will leverage their lives for eternal things, not temporary things. It's just small things for you to be faithful in that will lead you to be faithful in big. Small things, secret things. Secret things is just what, what do you do when, if nobody would know? If nobody would know, what would you do? That is the definition of whether you're faithful or not. And then what I call sacred things, don't overthink that. I just mean, what, what is it that warms your heart toward God? Yesterday, yesterday I was with a family uh, while a family member passed away. So I was literally with them, and their family member took a last breath. I've, I've been in those circumstances a lot over the years. I mean, really, more times than I could tell you a number. I've been in it a lot. But never does it happen that it's not beyond words when you're just in that moment and you, you, you realize somebody takes their last breath and they face the ultimate big in death. And it brings me back to the question, how, how, do you, how do you know you can be faithful in the big point of death? And my answer goes back to what the Scripture teaches us. It's about the small things today where I am dying to myself. And I'm saying today, I, I'm dying to myself. I don't want this to be about me. I don't want this to be about my honor. I want this to be about him. And so, Jesus, however you call me to die to myself today, I want there to be a hundred little deaths that happen today so that you are honored and your desire happens. Listen to me. When you learn to die every day in the small things, then you will be ready to die. And you will stand before the one who gave you all that you have been given. And you hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to pray. I'm gonna pray and ask God to help us. Because come on, this is not just some story. This is not just some good thing to think about. Jesus says there's just two categories, faithful or unfaithful. After I pray, we're gonna sing a little bit. It's gonna be a time where we can respond. There'll be some people on this wall, be some people in the back. There should be men and women there. If you, ha you have needs today, you got concerns, you got burdens, you got whatever it is, we would be honored to pray with you today. Be honored to help you however we can. I I'm not going to clean this up for you. I'm not going to clean it up. I'm going to leave it where Jesus left it. Are you leveraging what you've been given for him? Let's pray.
God, as we hear these words today, and God, even in the songs that we are about to sing, songs about how much better Jesus you are than anything else, songs about you being that rock on which everything about our life is anchored. There, there are some of us in this moment that will be encouraged because, God, there are people in this room, they are, they are faithful. And some of them have been through seasons like a Jeremiah where they have continued to be faithful even when they're not seeing the results that they want to see. I pray that you would continue to encourage them today, God. I pray that you'd give them eyes that can trust how you truly measure faithfulness. God, there are some folks in the room who may be ready to give up on some things because they're just, it feels like maybe this is, this is not what you told us even though we know it's what you told us. God, I'm, I'm just praying today you would encourage, today you would set those feet firm to trust you more than we even seek fruitfulness. But God, there's also some today who they won't be encouraged. God, there are some here today that there is conviction. There's conviction because there are some folks here, there are some folks who are hearing my voice that, God, they, they have been given much. But it is not being leveraged for your honor. And it is not being leveraged to bless others. God, maybe it's because they're afraid. I pray today that you'll show us the truth, who you are. God, may we be not afraid of failure. God, may we be more afraid of living an entire life without living in the power and the trust that you have in us. God, to see truly how you measure faithfulness. God, whether, whether the world thinks we fail or not, God, will you give us courage to trust you? Give us courage to step where you tell us to step. Give us courage to love our neighbor. Give us courage to share the gospel. God, give us courage to be generous. Give us courage in the small things that one day we will hear the big thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. So God, whether it is encouragement or whether it is conviction, it is the proof that you are the God who is faithful because you're still here. You haven't bailed on us even in our failure. You are here. May we see you, may we hear you, and may we know how you love. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Let's stand. We'll sing together.